We're living in a, a, a troubled time, but we're also living in a blessed time. Because God said he would pour out his spirit in the last days. And he would pour it on all flesh. And so we are candidates today for, for what, uh, what uh, John spoke about last Wednesday. I wasn't here, but I heard the reports and I heard of how so many of the kids were just incredibly impacted by what he said. And we just knew we had to have him uh, speak again to the whole church. So I'm looking forward to that. So uh, uh, this plaque, beautiful little plaque that Ruby and uh, uh, Ruby brought in, and uh, uh, it's about Thanksgiving. A woman was asked by a coworker, "What is it like to be a Christian?" And the coworker replied, "It's like being a pumpkin." How many knew that? Uh, it's like being a pumpkin. God picks you from the patch, brings you in, washes all the dirt off you, then he cuts off the top and scoops out all the yucky stuff. He removes the seeds of doubt, hate, and greed. Then he carves you a new smiling face and puts his light inside of you to shine for all the world to see. that work? <laughs> so thank you, Floyd and Ruby, for bringing that to us, and I'll put it back out on the table. Maybe you could, because someone might, they might want to take pictures of that to, to remember. Uh, one of the things about uh, the baptism of the Holy Spirit and speaking in tongues, and I'll just mention this, um, because one of the things that we, we sometimes think is that tongues is the gift. Well, tongues is a gift of the Spirit, but that's not the same as the baptism of the Holy Spirit. In fact, uh, we're not seeking for tongues. We're seeking for the infilling of the Holy Spirit, and tongues can accompany that. And here's what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 14. If I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. Did you know that the purpose of having an unknown tongue is for prayer? For, for prayer to come from a deeper place in your life than your intellect. And uh, so my spirit prays. My mind is unfruitful. Sometimes I don't even know what it was my spirit prayed. But what shall I do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will also pray with my understanding. And I will sing with my spirit, but I will also sing with my understanding. Otherwise, when you are praying, uh, when you are praising God in the Spirit, how can someone else who is new, uh, who is now put in a position of an inquirer, say amen to your thanksgiving, since they do not, do not know what you're saying? So basically, he, he's uh, saying, you don't want to just come to church and everybody be praising and praying with an unknown tongue because a person who doesn't know, you know too much about Christianity comes and thinks, what are they doing? And But... What he goes on to say is, you're giving thanks well enough, but no one is edified. So we don't come to church and just everybody speaks in tongues wholesale. There's a place for it. But in prayer, that's the key. God wants to develop his relationship with you through spiritual language, through learning to pray in the Spirit. And uh, we'll talk about that more uh, as time to come. So next week, I'm looking forward to it. And uh, John told me this interesting story. He said he had a, 
get a call from a friend uh, to come to his wedding. Was that in New Jersey? No, Toronto. And, uh, and John was going to go, and then he felt, ah, he wanted to buy the ticket, but he didn't buy the ticket. And I went again to buy the ticket. And he just couldn't seem to get free to buy the ticket to go to the wedding. And then I asked him, so finally he said, I'm not going. And then I asked John if he would speak next week, and that's the week of the wedding. So it looks like the Lord had arranged for John to be here. Isn't God good? It was tremendous confirmation for him and for me as well. I want to talk to you this morning about the healing of the ten lepers. And the story is in Luke chapter 17, verse 11 to 17. Uh, by the way, it's such a delight to have Charlene here. And uh, um, Charlene, would you come and pray for Papa as he preaches the message this morning that uh, the Lord will bless you're going to get me up here one way or the other. Yes, you. <laughs> <laughs> um, dear Heavenly Father, I thank you um, for Thanksgiving and for family. And uh, we are a family in you, Lord. And thank you for bringing me here today to my, my longtime family. And I pray a special blessing on this church and everyone here today. Lord, I pray for Dad as he uh, brings the message to us today from you, Lord, that you would give him strength, anoint um, all of his words, and Lord, open our hearts uh, to hear what you have to say to us today, that we will walk out of here knowing you more, loving you more, and loving each other more. In Jesus' name, amen. Luke chapter 17, verses 11 to 17. Now on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. And as he was going into a village, ten men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. And when he saw them, he said, go and show yourself to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. And one of them, when he saw he was healed, came back, praising God in a loud voice. And he threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. And he was a Samaritan. And Jesus asked, were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? And then he, then he said to him, arise, go, your faith has made you well. Now, I'm going to uh, divide this text into two sections. And the first section is the verses 11 to 14. So we're going to put those up there now. And in these two sections, the first section and the, and the second section, Jesus draws attention to two very important aspects of his ministry. And therefore, they are two very important aspects of Christian ministry today. And the first of them is that Jesus ministers to, he loves, and he embraces the marginalized, the people who are on the outside, the people who are the foreigners, the disadvantaged, the poor. And in this story, you have a man, all 10 are disadvantaged because they have leprosy. And as a result of leprosy, they were 
ostracized. They were put out of their community because of the contagiousness of this terrible disease and how it almost always certainly ended in death. And so the ten were marginalized. They were excommunicated from their community. But the second person was a Samaritan, a foreigner. And so he was doubly marginalized. And Joanna spoke so eloquently about that last week when she spoke about the woman at the well who Jesus encountered, and this woman was a Samaritan. Well, a part of the, the whole narrative of the New Testament of ministering to the marginalized, those who are disadvantaged, those who are wounded, those who do not have all of the benefits of the privilege of the wealthy and the best position in our society. And so that becomes a critical part. In fact, the Gospel of Luke is really known for many things. One of them is how Jesus um, addresses women and how he honors women, which was very countercultural to what uh, women usually experienced. In not only in Israeli culture, but in all the cultures of the world. So Jesus honors women, but he also honors the poor. And that, again, is something that was unique to him. And one of the things that is an identifying marker for Jesus when it comes to his ministry and his whole life in two very important ways is his ministry to lepers. Uh, One of the things that John the Baptist wondered about when he heard about Jesus and all of the miracles that he was doing, he sent his disciples, which means his followers, to the followers of of, uh, Jesus, to Jesus himself, and said, "Uh, are you the Messiah? Because John is wondering, you're doing so many things that that, um, characterize the one who who he was announcing would come. And in Luke chapter 7, verse 21 to 23, We read it this way. And that very time, Jesus cured many who had diseases, sicknesses, and evil spirits, and gave sight to many who were blind. So he replied to the messengers. That's the messengers that came from John. Go back and report to John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive sight. The lame walk. Those who have leprosy are cleansed. So he identifies the leper. The deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. How how could you possibly stumble at what Jesus was doing? Blind people see um, the deaf hear. How could that cause an offense to anyone? Well, It's because of the understanding that people had when it came to who has greatest value. He didn't mention anything about the rich or the famous, those who were positioned in places of great influence, those who were government officials or religious leaders. He identified himself as being the Messiah by virtue of how he ministered to the disadvantaged. Four verses later, verses seven to tw- uh, chapter 7, verse 27, there were many in Israel with leprosy in the time of Elisha the prophet, yet not one of them was cleansed, only Naaman the Syrian. 
This was the kicker. When Jesus said this in this chapter, in Luke chapter 7, uh, after saying all this, don't, don't have a, be offended because I minister to the poor. He goes back to the healing of a leprous man in the book of, um, in the, in the uh, Old Testament, Naaman the Syrian. Uh, there was all kinds of people who were Jewish that had leprosy. But Jesus says, Elisha was instrumental in bringing healing to somebody who wasn't of the covenant of Israel, but somebody who was a Gentile. And they were so angry. If you go on and read the rest of that chapter, this took place in his own, in his own hometown, in his, the region where he grew up. And when they heard this, they tried to throw him over a cliff. They wanted to kill him. So, so what enraged them? What incensed them? What caused this tremendous uh, spirit of rage to rise up within these people? Uh, wouldn't you rejoice about all the healings, even the healing of Naaman the leper when you read the Old Testament? It's not a matter of who got healed. The matter is someone did get healed. And if it was a, a Syrian, well, even better. Certainly not cause for animosity or anger or rage against Jesus to the point where you'd want to kill him. But that's what he faced. Leprosy represented the reaching and the healing of the lepers represented perhaps more than any other of the miraculous works of Jesus. His compassion for the outsider. kid at school who gets bullied, the kid who doesn't have the same skills, learning skills to be able to get high marks at class, and so they kind of are down lower when it comes to success in school. And it doesn't mean they can't learn, it just means that school may not be the best way for them to learn. Nevertheless, they can be marginalized, ostracized, kind of, well, they're not smart. The person who doesn't quite measure up to the, the appearance that is celebrated, whether you're a man or a woman. And so because your appearance might be just a little different or not quite as acceptable or as celebrated as the appearances of others, you get marginalized. You're not seen as the same as everyone else. You come to a new country like Canada, and because you are not Canadian per se, you're not Caucasian, you might get laughed at. You might not be as accepted as others. And whenever anything like that happens, no matter in which form it happens, There's someone who cares. Cares more than we can imagine. And he calls his people, his church, to love the lepers. To care for those that are marginalized. Go back to the story 
of Miriam in the Old Testament. And uh, Aaron and Miriam were critical of Moses because Moses married a woman who was not of their people. She she was a Cushite. And uh, they started to murmur and grumble against Moses. They started to uh, form in their own hearts a rebellion against him. And the Lord spoke and he said, there's no man in all of Israel who's more humble than Moses. And whenever I speak to others, I speak to them through visions. I speak to them through the prophets or the, word, uh, the words of others. I, I have, when I talk to Moses, I talk to him face to face. Because there's no one who I can trust more than I can trust Moses. And you have the nerve to rise up and murmur and complain against him. And so it says in Numbers 12, verses 9 to 13, the anger of the Lord burned against them. That means Aaron and Miriam. And he left them. That's a scary thing. To think that whenever we form these opinions against others, Moses, he had the nerve to Remember to marry somebody outside his tribe, somebody who doesn't look like us, somebody who doesn't understand us. And when the cloud lifted, that means the presence of God from above the tent, and that means the tabernacle where they worship. Miriam's skin was leprous. So here there is a sudden leprosy. Suddenly, she has leprosy. And that's not how leprosy developed. Leprosy developed slowly. But here she had uh, uh, leprosy. It became white as snow, which is one of the, the final stages of leprosy. So she just moved from the beginning stages of leprosy just to advanced instantly. And she had this defiling skin diseases. And he said to Moses, and this is Aaron speaking, uh, he said, please, my Lord, I ask you not to hold against us the sin that we have so foolishly committed. The sin of prejudice the sin of racism, the sin of raising our voices against those who reach out to touch the lepers, no one greater than Jesus doing that. And so Aaron says, do not let her be like a stillborn infant coming from its mother's womb with its flesh half eaten away. Can you imagine the horror of bearing a child? And as a child comes out of the mother's womb and is held by the mother, that to her horror, she sees that this child is leprous. So Moses said, cried out to the Lord, please God, heal her. And God did. So 
leprosy represents the curse of death. It represents death for which there is no cure. It's very much a type of the original sin that happened in the Garden of Eden, whereby one man's sin, sin entered into the whole, whole race, and because of sin, death. God didn't create death, it's the result of sin. It, it's the curse against the rebellion against God and His Word and all of God's intentions toward a human race that He loves, but has chosen to not love Him in return. Another powerful scripture is Mark chapter 1, verses 40 to 41. And it says, A man with leprosy came to him and begged him on his knees. If you are willing, you can make me clean. These next words are very, very interesting. Jesus was indignant. So here's a leprous man. And he says, Jesus, if you will, you can. You have the ability. He had no doubt in his mind about that. He was absolutely sure that Jesus could heal him. But he said, if you are willing... You can make me clean. And Jesus was indignant. What was he indignant about? (laughs) He's indignant about the same things that we often do. We say, God, we know you can, but we're not sure if you're willing. And the decrees of the New Testament over and over again is that God is not willing that any should perish but that all should come to repentance. That the provisions of the covenant of the cross are made available to every man, every woman, every child of every race, every color. There is no one excluded. He's willing. You're struggling with something today. And you say, oh, God, I'm struggling with this sin or temptation or um, this uncertainty about my health or whatever. And I, I know you can help me, but I'm not sure if you're willing. Uh, we need to rethink how we approach God when it comes to that. And we say that uh, I am willing, he said, be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. When Jesus touched the leper, he brought risk to himself. Because the reason leprosy caused people to be marginalized had to do with the fact that if you, were, if you had contact with a leprous person, you had a great likelihood of being infected with that disease. So the last thing you would do is touch a leper. You wouldn't even get close to a leper, but let alone touch him. But Jesus touched him. And in this story, we see that this doubly marginalized man, Jesus Jesus touched him and in so doing, took upon himself the curse that leprosy represented. Not just the curse of the disease, but the curse of what it means to touch the the human experience and make a difference. Uh, 
Let me say this to you this morning. Um, we can all have marginalized areas in our lives. Things that we're too ashamed to let God touch. Uh, sometimes there are things that we hold back, we hide from others because of shame. If people knew what I think or what I do, they wouldn't accept me, they wouldn't love me. And even in churches, we can be filled with believers in Jesus who are saved, just have even experienced the baptism of the Holy Spirit, but have never let the Holy Spirit come into the deepest parts of their lives. Those, those areas that remain secret. <laughs> and when Jesus knocks on the door of your heart, and you invite them in. But then there are rooms and closets with closed doors. He makes a beeline to those places, and he knocks again. And he says, true freedom comes when the grace of, grace of God permeates, infiltrates every area of your life. And the possibility is, for you today, for me, as believers, as followers of Jesus, to be so filled with the Holy Spirit that the leprosy of our sin, of our shame, is removed. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 20 to 21, we read these. We are therefore, these words, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. So here's Paul, he's saying, I'm an ambassador of Christ. I'm a representative. I've been appointed by him as an ambassador. And we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. For God made him, that is Jesus, who had no sin to be sin for us. So that in him, we might become the righteousness of God. So here is Jesus, the Son of God, pure, sinless, born without the stain of Adam's sin, born without the curse of death on his life. But he came, and just as he touched the lepers, he touched the entire human race through his death, through taking on the poison of what leprosy represents taking on the curse and the death that would result so that in Christ we are free totally because he did it when he died on the cross for us. Let's pause and just give the Lord thanks. Thank you, Jesus. You can go ahead and clap if you want to and lift your voice to the Lord. Now, the second great truth in the story of the ten lepers is the, found in the 15th to 19th verse. One of them, when he saw he was healed, came back, praising God in a loud voice, and he threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. And he was a Samaritan. And Jesus asked, we're not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? 
Then he said to him, Rise and go. Your faith has made you well. So there was no indignation on the part of Jesus toward this man when he was healed. And, and notice the remarkable way in which it happened. The, the lepers are standing apart, away from Jesus and they shout out to him, Jesus, and they never asked for him to heal them. Heal them. They just said, have pity on us. Other translations say, have mercy on us. So they recognized that they, their leprosy caused them to not be able to approach anybody, including Jesus. So their understanding of who he was and what he had come to do was a flawed understanding. Because if they really knew, they wouldn't let leprosy keep them from him. He had already demonstrated through touching the leper, in the, as recorded in the previous chapters, uh, Jesus had no problem with touching lepers. But they didn't seem to know that, and so they called from a distance and they cried for mercy. And then he said, go and show yourself to the priests, which was a requirement of the Old Testament law. And so they, they go, but they hadn't been healed. They go show yourself to the priest. Well, I, I'm still full of leprosy. It's on my hands. My fingers are falling off. My, I, 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 there's parts of my body that I can't feel. They've gone numb. They're dead. Uh, there's white scales on some of my skin showing death. And, and uh, no, you can't show yourself to the priest in this condition. And what God is saying is, when Jesus gives you the invitation to do something, He does so regardless of the condition you're in. He does so regardless of how marginalized, disadvantaged, or any other prejudice that you've experienced, even your own prejudice against yourself, which in some ways is the worst kind. Where you feel you're not worthy that you're no good, that, that you don't merit anything. And so they go. <laughs> but it's in the going. It's in the obedience to Christ. It's in the response to his word. That step by step, things are changing. Fingers are coming back on to the hands. Feeling is returning to the extremities of their bodies that had long since died. The scales of death are falling off. The open sores, they are being covered over with fresh skin. And every step they take, they're walking into their healing. We need to start taking steps towards the provisions of God that make it possible for us to not be enslaved by shame or doubt or fear or the kinds of things where we think that we're not good enough. The shame itself, which is, of course, one of the greatest killers. Once you start taking one step before Christ, towards Christ, you start to find a new grace. 
You take a second step, the third step, and every step you take, the path gets brighter. The possibilities become more clear. And you could say, I can do this. I can do this. I can do it through Christ who strengthens me for every step of the way. That's happening. Has no one returned to praise me? Where are the other nine? The second great part of this story is the part of our response to Christ for what he's done. Unmistakably, he died for everybody. He died for the nine, for the ten, not just the one. In his grace, he provides healing and provision for the world. And many in the world have been healed by the power of Jesus and yet never returned to give him thanks. Every one of us here this morning, whether we realize it or not, have been recipients of life-saving grace. Even when we didn't ask for it, didn't know about it, we don't know what we've been spared from. And every day we live with family and friends and provisions in a country like this. God is reaching out and blessing us and blessing us and blessing us and blessing us. What is the appropriate response? The appropriate, appropriate response is worship, is acknowledgement, is obedience to Jesus. In First Chronicles chapter 16, verse 8, it says, Give thanks unto the Lord and call upon his name. There is a strong connection between thanksgiving, praise, and prayer, and calling upon the name of the Lord. And then there's a responsibility in our response to God in thanksgiving to do what the rest of that verse says, and it says, make known his deeds among the people. What people? The people have never received what you've received. The lost the marginalized, people who are in this world who've never heard of the gospel of Jesus. In Psalm 116, verse 17, it says, I will offer to thee the sacrifice of thanksgiving, and I will call upon the name of the Lord. Close relationship again between thanksgiving that comes through sacrifice and prayer. Worship and prayer are connected, and not just casually, but they are in essence one and the same. I will offer the sacrifice of praise. In our response to Jesus, he calls on us to take responsibility to reach out to the world. He calls us to have responsibility towards his own people, the church. A sacrifice of praise. What is a sacrifice? Well, God forbid, God forbid that I offer to him something that costs me nothing. I think the person who wrote that was Nate Saint, a, a bush pilot who gave his life in the Ecuadorian jungle uh, as he tried to reach out to a hostile tribe and they killed him. Uh, but later on, those who followed Nate into that same jungle, when they saw how 
the love of the people continued to go towards them, um, that whole tribe turned to Christ. And uh, it was a remarkable story. And a whole book was written about that. Uh, what about us? Do we sacrifice? Is the tithe a sacrifice? Or is it a willing offering of the redeemed? There's so much in the New Testament about that that we won't explore that today. That's just one area of, of, of sacrifices of praise. What about the sacrifice of praise that says, okay, I, I will do my part in the church. I will be a worker. I will be a laborer. And all of those are very strong biblical concepts. And so there's work to do at the church. There's work to do in reaching out from the church to those that don't know Jesus to get involved in things like Alpha and so many other projects that we believe the Lord is leading us into as a church. Do we just sit back and say, well, maybe, you know, that's a great idea. We'll, we'll applaud everybody who does it. But what about offering the sacrifice of praise and saying, I should do this too? The prayer meetings, same thing. It's wonderful for people to pray and all the wonderful reports we hear about prayer services, but what about me? We call upon the name of the Lord as a part of our worship. And so prayer becomes critical to the very, very core of the church that ensures its success. Well, there's much we could say about this. This morning he calls us to return when nobody else does, or even if no one else does. And as this lo lone, cleansed leper fell at the feet of Jesus, the question that Jesus asked, where are the nine? And he says to me this morning, Bruce, where are you? Are you serving at my feet or are you serving through some other means or purpose? And he calls every one of us, where are you? Where are the nine? What is he saying to us today about our service to the marginalized, to the wounded, to the hurt? What are we saying about our relationship with him in prayer and praise and in sacrifice? This morning he invites us to not worship him from afar off, but to worship him for what he's done, for taking upon himself the leprosy of our sin and on the cross, create a covenant whereby we're cleansed. One of the things lepers had to cry out whenever they came close, or when anybody came close to them, unclean, unclean, unclean. Don't come near me. I'm contaminated. Through the blood of the cross, we can say with a much louder voice, 
Not this time in, in trying to protect others from the disease we have, but offering to them what grace and salvation and wonderful experience that God has brought to us. Come closer. What he's done for me, he can do for you.